Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. I want to welcome you to this episode of the Brains Magazine podcast and me for one. I'm excited because this is really an opportunity to interview somebody whom I've never interviewed about such a subject matter uh, as this one. So I'm excited and I'll do my best to make you equally as excited over the next 30 minutes as we dive into this interview with Mackenzie Mitchell. Mackenzie is the co-founder and the owner of Swiss Avenue Birth and Wellness. How are you today, Mackenzie? I'm great. I'm, I'm, as we talked about, I'm a little tired, but other than, other than that, I can't complain. I guess that's a part of motherhood, right? You know, you've got that's three right. young children, what, under the age of eight? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, it all seemed fine until the lockdown baby. And now it seems a little <laughs> more challenging. Is, does that mean that literally like you had nothing to do other than uh, conceive during that time? She, I was actually pre- very pregnant. She was 10 days late and Texas went into lockdown three days before she was born. <laughs> oh. so we were like, oh, oh, you know, we thought we'd have this relaxing third baby where we knew what we were doing. And it was relaxing, but in a forced way. <laughs> While it- also homeschooling. Oh, yeah. I guess the good thing for the man, though, is, you know, it's, I think it's even worse in America from my understanding. I think in the UK, I think you can get up to three weeks paternity leave now as a man. And I think it was even like a, a one week in the States. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's really sad. We are very lucky that we kind of both have flexible schedules. And um, there, my husband, like, is a wonderful father. And, and so he tries really hard not to schedule projects when they're tiny, when mm. they're born. Um, he also had to pivot into like homeschool while I was you know, home with a one day old. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we made it through and we're now, now we have, you know, the kids have a semi-normal life, but it was a lot. Yeah, that's, that's great. It sounds like you're a great team uh, as well. And I always think that, you know, when we go through experiences in life, they, they often tend to be the things that we then turn around and serve other, other people with. And, you know, I'd love to dive in now with you, Mackenzie. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, you know, why is it imp- important that we all try and fail before we succeed? I know this is something that's at the front and center of, of your business and the way that you do things. Why is that so important? So I would like to get ahead of this one and just say, like, I realize I come from a very fortunate position to be able to say, like, it's fine to fail a bunch of times. Obviously, if you if you are in a situation where your hierarchy of needs are like pay the bill, feed your kids, you don't have as much leeway of feeling comfortable to fail. So I just don't want to seem unaware of that reality. Um, I I recently realized, and I'm 35, 36, that um, all of my friends and and colleagues had been doing all these things professionally and personally because they were worried that someone would think they were failing. And I don't know if I just came out without 
that concern. It never occurred to me that someone would be doing something that made them miserable. And that was the reason, not because of responsibility or duty, but because they were worried if they said, oh, I didn't like university or, oh, I didn't like this job and I changed that someone would think that they were a failure and that would be stopping them from pursuing something that made them happy or fulfill. Um, so once I started realizing that my own trajectory seemed kind of unique and I never really thought of it that way at the time. Mm-hmm. So I went to college, really hated it <laughs> um, and wasn't afraid to say, I really just don't like this. I, I, um, it's, it's not a good fit for me. I'm, I'm not interested in what I'm learning. So I, I withdrew, it was fine. I came from an entrepreneurial family. And so I knew I wanted to start a business. So I went from it from a less, what do I find fulfilling? And what, instead of more of like, what do I think could be successful? So I started a baby swaddle business with no knowledge of how to mass produce uh, textiles or graphic design or anything. Um, but I learned it all and it was incredible. And the learning process was what I really liked, but then it ran and it was smooth and was making money. And then I became like totally disinterested, which is, I think the opposite of what most people that it runs, it's smooth, it's, it's working. And so you want to keep running it. I immediately was like, this isn't for me. I don't, I didn't really feel like I was helping anyone. It didn't really like light a fire inside me to do it. So I sold it fine. Then I started doing sort of the same thing again. Like, what do I think could be successful instead of what do I really want to do? So I, um, I went to baking school. I started bakery, same thing, successful, like worked really hard to build it, which I find like that part is so rewarding. You learn something new every day. It was totally different than what I'd done before. And then it was smooth and it ran. And the only step I really had to do that was new and challenging was like hiring and firing, which is very unpleasant in my opinion. So I, I, the pandemic happened. We were still running the bakery. I was pregnant and we had to close. And like, I don't know, a week into being forced closed, I didn't miss it at all. (laughs) And I felt kind of incredible that I wasn't having to, to do that every day. I had uh, known I wanted to work in childbirth for a long time, but I figured made logical sense for us to wait, you know, until our kids weren't babies. Mm-hmm. But I was, I would go walking every day with Lulu when she was born and listen to these podcasts of these women's birth experiences during COVID alone and scared. And I just couldn't it was the first time I didn't think, Hey, how can I build a business that would be successful? Instead? I thought like, this is unacceptable for me to do nothing. It it's like a gut punch to even listen to it. And I didn't even live that experience. I had lovely births. Um, and it was just so obvious to me that that is where I needed to put my attention that I sold the bakery and, um, got my doula certification right away, applied to midwifery school. And it's, if I hadn't done all of those things where I quote unquote failed, 
it's not like I didn't sell them and make a killing, you know, I sold them and got out from underneath it and then, and moved so I could move on. But I, you know, I think I've had, had lots of people say like, Oh, do you, is it scary for you to start a new thing because of the previous failure? And I'm like, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could ever have found what I'm really supposed to be doing had I not failed in those other arenas. Hmm. I think that, like literally that that one question's kind of like <laughs> encompassed kind of what I was Sorry. trying to <laughs> trying to get out of you in the pod, <laughs> podcast. A couple of things that I wanted to just uh, now respond to is I could <laughs> I could I could tell that you actually when you were talking about these births like and, and people being a- alone and scared I-, I could see that you were emotionally affected by that you actually were getting a bit emotional there weren't you yeah and I noticed that because it's obviously something real to you I don't know how we expect anyone to do that by themselves it's a lot and even if even if you choose a different route than I chose and it and you have a c-section or you have medication and a lot of times you've never done that before, or just even if you're not scared of the joy of bringing your child into the world, but you're alone and your partner can't see that or your mother or your sister, it's just, it's not supposed to be done alone. Mm. And I was having a really hard time reconciling like, hey, I had these three amazing, healthy births and I had everyone I wanted and I felt supported and you know, they're the three best days of my life. Like besides that, my kids were born, like personally felt very accomplished and incredible. Mm. And, you know, I, when you find out that that's not how people feel, um, very few people have that takeaway. It just seemed unacceptable is a, is a harsh word, but for me, I'm particularly called for lack of a better word to do that and it's every time I hear it, I just, even still now, I mean, when we see women in our care and, and they don't have someone to support them, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing it because I can't not do it. I just. I hear you. One of the other things I wanted to also respond to is the fact that it is so friggin' liberating when we don't allow failure and when we're not good at something to hold us down for too long that it paralyzes us or, or enables us to stick at something that we weren't cut out to do. And our heart isn't even designed for it. So I love the fact that, you know, you're so liberated like I am with that. And it almost seems that how we frame failure really is really important because you you've articulated in a way that actually, you know, I know that other people struggle with it, but for me personally, I don't. I just found something that I didn't want to do. And and really the simplicity of life is 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 finding the thing that you do want to do, right? Yeah. And I I just I also like with babe back to the kids, I imagine, you know, one of my children not telling me that they've hated a path that they've been on for fear that I will not accept that and wasting that many years of their life in a, on a path and a job at a school, whatever that they don't like, it's just not, you know, you only get to do it one time. You certainly shouldn't be 
saddled with something that makes you miserable if, if it's not out of necessity. Yeah. And then the last thing that I had, because I, I, it may be just an American thing and, and for European listeners, probably just, just helpful to know. I think you said at the start that you're doing, was it baby swaddling? Yeah. Okay. What is that? So, you know, when a baby comes home from the hospital, it's usually, they always do it in the hospital. Other people do it, but when they look like a little burrito yep. in the blanket. Yep. So the swaddle is that blanket that makes them look like the little burrito. So did you used to design the blankets or? Yeah, I, I, I left out a whole chunk because I realized I was being so long-winded. I, out of high school in college was an actor and realized you spend a lot of your time as an actor sitting, waiting for someone to choose you to do something and which is just part of the job, but it was really mentally non-stimulating the waiting around. So I started doing that seeing if I could learn how to do graphic design to do textiles and kind of as a, I didn't really think that it would pan out that I would like learn how to do bulk manufacturing overseas. But then, you know, once you started it, then I was interested in it and I did. So I, yeah, I did the design and then started the company and we made all kinds of crazy textiles. Good. Well, I think it's important. And I like the backstory because I'm always fascinated how people end up where they are now. I'm always interested in that journey, fascinated by the choices that are made. Some are organic. There's plenty of plot twists. Some things are kind of like cultivated. Other things just come from left field. You know, where does it, where does your love for pregnancy and childbirth come from, Mackenzie? It's something that obviously is deep rooted in you. Where does that come from? I think it's been... I've always, I mean, I knew since I was a little girl that I wanted to be a mom. Um, I have an incredible mom. She's very like mother earthy and what you, or what I guess, obviously me, I think of when I think of a mom, she's just, she has tons of patience. She's very loving. Um, and she had really wanted a natural delivery and could never have that with, with any of her three kids. And so I think at some point, I, I kind of thought I'm the baby of my family. Everyone kind of thinks I'm a wuss, <laughs> not now. Um, but I thought, you know, like I've read the science here. It's obvious to me for my choices, I would be more comfortable with a natural birth. So I got support, but a lot of sort of questioning, like, eh, you might not be able to like handle that. It's a lot. We did it. It was like the most incredible experience. I'm obviously not a crazy person, is uncomfortable. There is some pain there, you know, you're tired, but it's the cool, I mean, it's the coolest thing in my opinion that a body can do if, if, if you wanna do it. And I just kind of, I'm not a particularly religious person, but when you see that happen or you're doing it, it's kind of like, miracle being religious or not religious, it's pretty hard to deny that it's miraculous that a whole human person <laughs> comes out. And I just sort of always have been enamored with it. And then the more I kind of got into it and my friends started having kids and I realized, Hey, like nobody, e even people that I, you know, think are very well-educated or, or voracious learners don't have, like, this is an area where people aren't equipping themselves with, with knowledge. And then they're like really surprised by how it 
plays out mm. just sort of felt like a big hole where I could, before it was my job, I just mm. did it because I was the first one of my friends to have kids. And so you can support people and, and help them when they have, you know, they have questions and they've never done it. You've done it. So you're not an expert, but you're not a novice. Um, it's just, I mean, I, my partner always tells me she was our midwife. So it's like a very going to work is an incredible, uh, thing for me every day because I get to work with the woman who delivered my babies. Um, but she is always like McKinsey, you know, eventually you're going to see a pregnant woman and you're going to think it's great, but you're going to keep it together. And I just don't, I just, <laughs> I, it never becomes less amazing to me. Yeah. So, so I, you I get, get overwhelmed with it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, I remember even for myself having three children and I think whenever you have something for the first time where it's a first book, book, a first child, there's the unknown, there's the emotion, there's the, a roller coaster. I mean, when Lois, my eldest, was born, it was like a 36-hour labor, so it was quite drawn out and lots of emotion and you're tired. And then when she was born, it was like, oh, it's like I can't even explain like the emotion. I don't think anything's come close to that, you know, that that there's nothing that you can compare it to that burst of overwhelm, humility, pride, vulnerability, the whole lot all in, all in one. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I've got some interesting birth stories as well from my own three, which uh, will always stay with me. Yeah. Um, I did actually watch your YouTube video about the birth of Rex and uh, I would encourage people to watch it because it's, it's very touching and it's uh, very human and intimate. And um, I think the work that, that you your team did with that in particular was was incredible. And I really wanted to ask you, how do you find the balance of sensitivity and reassurance during a stressful but precious moment? How do you how did you capture that? That's a good question. I think so with our model of care, we get to see our patients every appointment for an hour. Um, and how long is that before? How long is that before they actually have the baby? So, I mean, we get some, some people who transfer into care later, but usually we have people who come, you know, they find out they're pregnant. So they're like 10 weeks pregnant or 12 weeks pregnant. And, and we see them once a month for an hour. And then later we start seeing them every two weeks, every week. Um, so we really get to know these families and they bring their kids to their appointment, their other kids, if they have them to their appointments or, or my partners delivered their other kids, you know, before I was involved. And it's just this, you, you read the family, you get to know, you know, like the partner usually comes to the appointments or at least you know, to the home appointment when you are going and sort of plotting out how their, their birth will go. And we try to be as hands-off as possible. And if somebody needs or wants direction, they usually make that very clear. If you can tell, you know, someone is exhausted, there are ways to empower them to do it without saying, here's what you're going to do. Because the innate instincts 
of a woman who's having a baby will take over and she'll know she might be tired. She might need some guidance or support, but we try to just sort of be there and, and try to suss out every time what it is that they are needing. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I'm just thinking that there's a few things in life that are, that are super precious uh, and require a lot of trust. I always think that whenever we talk about money, that's one that's quite sensitive. But I also think, you know, when you're exposed, when a, when a woman's exposed to, to give birth, you know, and she's so focused on that and the environment that you have to get right to create that. And like you said, you're, you're looking to be hands off and really reading the family. Obviously, your business is, is built a lot on trust. And I wondered if you had maybe two or three kind of like tips for, for how to build trust with, within our business, utilizing your own experience and lens, obviously, of, of childbirth? I would say repetitive of what I said, but really understanding who the other person is and what it is that they need or value. Yeah. Because it's not a one, I mean, birth or just business, trust in business across the board, it's not a one size fits all. You know, I've had business pitches where I'm like, this isn't for me. Like this person isn't talking to me. This is just a pitch that they give. Um, and so that's, that always just seems really disingenuous. So I think figuring out, you know, what, what is actually the relationship here between the two of you based on who they are and what their wants or needs are. Um, second, I would say like really same as relationships, personal relations really listening to the other person and actively, you know, actively listening, really paying attention is huge and talking much less than you listen, which is a very challenging skill for me. Um, but I certainly think in, in a vulnerable time, which could be you know, money, it could be asking someone for an investment, what, whatever you are not. I think oftentimes when you're the one in that position, you feel like you need to lead the charge, but in reality, it's much more effective to, to hear someone than to continually talk at them. Yeah. Like it. I, I love the fact that I was even having a conversation on another podcast yesterday uh, about how too many people and businesses make the mistakes of making their business about them and not about uh, the person or the people that you're actually serving within your business. So I, I love the fact that even though you obviously had shared something similar uh, previously, uh, I love the fact that you talk about the importance of understanding what it is that they need and what it is that they value. And then if any of us have got half a brain in relationships or business, then we look to give them what they need. And, you know, that's really important, isn't it? To be able to, you know, build that, that trust. Yeah. It's, it's, or, I mean, in our business, that's it. That's all you have. I mean, no one's going to go, A, we want them to have an incredible experience, but B, like, you're not going to get any repeat clients mm. if you don't develop that sort of personal trust. And, you know, ours is sort of a, emergent higher stakes thing that if something does go awry mm. you need to know that i mean i'll just use me so i don't use any patients but if i 
when I was having Lulu, Amy was delivering her and I needed to know that she said, you have to stand up right now. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And she said, you need to stand up right now. And I had to know, trust her enough that the answer was, oh, that's, that's not a question or an idea. You, I have to do that. And you can't really build it in the moment. So that trust, you know, has to be, I mean, it's, it's, it is like a romantic relationship to It has to really be like sewed and, and constantly tended um, for it to work. Now, I know you're a massive advocate for women's holistic wellness. What, what does that mean exactly? And, and what does that look like? So I'm the, the whole like natural birth journey for me started by the fact that I'm kind of scared of an epidural scared me. Mm. And so I was like, what are my other choices? Um, but then I went down the hole and realized like, you know, it might not be right for everybody, but for me, less intervention and more prevention is sort of ideal. So I try really hard with myself, but also with our patients of like, there are so many things that can be attacked with diet and awareness of like, you know, you're limiting your chemical exposure and all that kind of stuff that yes, it sounds when you take it as a big bundle, it's very overwhelming and sounds impossible because you're not in control of a lot of it but small, like everyday changes I have found in my own life and obviously see it with our clients all the time, make a huge difference. Um, over time, like we, you know, when we are treating women that have gestational diabetes, our first, you know, course of action is always, Hey, how can we get on top of your diet or, Oh, you're concerned you might have these issues because you had them in your last pregnancy. Let's start out with this, you know, clean regimen and these supplement plans and see, and nine times out of 10, you know, it's not, a they don't develop an issue in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of, my parents were kind of hippies and, and <laughs> which was awesome. But so I just, it's kind of been in our house growing up and then we just don't take medicine, the same as the failure. I didn't realize that that was weird <laughs> until you go and you're a grown up and you're like, oh, that person like has a headache and they're taking some medicine. They're not like grinding up turmeric. Um, I am grinding up turmeric. <laughs> 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 like I am that person. Um, so I just, it just seems like, why wouldn't you use all these tools that are available and with women in particular, there's like a huge rise of fertility struggles and, you know, they've linked it, especially in, in the U S to like, there's way less rules on what can be in beauty products, what can be in skincare products, things that are known toxinogens and endocrine disruptors. And you're just putting it all over yourself every day. And I, I think we're at a point where obviously that's people have to do that on their own because the regulations aren't going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's unfortunate, but I think, you know, that's the reality. So I, I just, I don't know, <laughs> got real off there. Are you fine? As a father of three, as I've said, right. 
Um, do you see the need to offer something for men? Because, you know, when I was uh, looking at, at what you do, your story, uh, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, is, is this something for men that you do? And if so, what is it? And if not, then then why? Because I, like I said, I without getting into all my, my own birth stories and experiences, with Lois, the first one in particular, you know, for me, that was one of the hardest things mentally that I'd ever been through. And yet I'm not the one who's obviously given birth, you know, and while I think uh, the focus should always be on the woman, as a man, I remember finding that really challenging mentally because I felt so helpless. Yeah. You know, there was there was only so much that I could do, you know, and, and, and with my ex-wife seeing her go through such a long like labor, I felt I felt quite helpless. And I remember going outside the hospital for some fresh air at like it was like 3:30 in the morning. So it's too late for me to reach out to anybody. I really yeah. didn't know. I really didn't know what to do. Yeah. So, it, so is this something that you that you do for men? And and if not, then then why? Because men actually need it. Yeah, we offer. So, I mean, there's no, I guess there's no like specific, like, Hey, come in for like a dad appointment, but dads are very, very welcome to be at every appointment. And they usually are, um, especially knowing that in this scenario, like we don't have a tap out unless you need to transfer to the hospital. So like you, your wife isn't having, or your partner's not having drugs and you know that, and you know, it's going to be a pretty intense situation. So we really encourage, like there's a childbirth class that we teach, you know, and, and it's for both people to come. We teach the dad coping mechanisms, like for her pain, for you, if you're feeling nervous, different. So we do, we handle it, but we also have, you know, like we have some collaborative care going on in our office. So there's like a chiropractor. So lots of times like a dad will come up just to get an adjustment but then he sees that we're in there and has some questions. Obviously we're going to answer the questions, but yeah, I think I always like to really encourage sort of like couples therapy, like, Hey, is there anything you would like to discuss while she's not in the room? Not because there's a, not because there's like any deception going on, but I know my husband was like, Hey, I'm freaked out and scared but didn't want to say to me, McKinsey, I'm freaked out and scared, have fun having a baby. I'm your support system and I'm terrified. So, yeah. So I think I've definitely fielded a lot of like, I'm very nervous and uncomfortable. What do I do? And, and, and we, we handle that. And we have, when there's a dad who really wants to do it and, and, but doesn't know what to do. I usually recommend hiring a doula because we're way more uh, hands-on than you're going to get, you know, at a hospital just because of time constraints and, and the style that we've cultivated. But um, then there's someone there that if you're like, hey, she's really in pain. I need a thing right now to do to help her because I, I feel helpless and I don't know what to do. She will say like, why don't you try these hip squeezes or why don't you try this words of affirmation that she said she wanted sort of just keeping your brain sharp because you're, you know, you're not, men don't get a lot of credit during the childbirth time, but anyone who's supporting a woman having a baby, it's a lot. It's, it's incredible and it's rewarding, but it's, it can take quite a long time. Um, 
and you're not going to say like, I just need to take a quick nap. I mean, you're not going to, you know, I mean, I have heard it have been said, it doesn't ever go well. (laughs) Um, but it's, yeah, I think the reality of what to expect is something that any birthing partner needs to be told. Yeah. Well, that's great that you, that you have that. Cause I think, I really feel that that's something that needs to be really, you know, offered and held space for, because it's actually, for me, it's one of the few situations where actually the, the man probably feels like how women have felt historically and feeling maybe not so fully included in, in something. Yeah. you know, and, and actually how, how we need that. So I'm, I'm glad that you have that. And maybe it'll give you some more thought as well. Uh, me, me sharing it. Yeah. Mackenzie, is there anything else that you want to share before we bring this into land? And please do let us know how people can find out more about you and uh, your business. Yes. Uh, let me, I will say, okay, this is, this is not on topic, but it is something that I have been thinking a lot about lately. I, with the previous, you know, searching for what it is that I really wanted to do. I always sort of felt like, Hey, if you really find something that you love and is wonderful, wouldn't that be sort of scary then to commit to that? Like, aren't you sort of pigeonholed now? And, and what if you get bored or what if what happened before happens, you're not just going to abandon pregnant women. So I have found just now, just with this career path that like, I was always hesitant and scared to really commit all the way because I felt like then that's it. That's all I'm going to do forever. And no matter how amazing it it is for someone with my personality, that's scary. And I've now kind of realized I have this incredible like freedom because I feel fulfilled at the end of the day um, to dabble in kind of whatever I want because there's no pressure to find the thing because I have the thing. So it actually has done the exact opposite for me. So I think just for people who are getting nervous to sort of nail down what, what their thing is gonna be. You know, I came from a family where my, my dad was a really intense entrepreneur and then my mom was an intense entrepreneur and I really want, that's part of my brain, I can't turn it off and So I get scared when I'm like, yeah, but then the birth center will also just run eventually, right? Like, yes, I'll be at these births and that's incredible. But then what if that happens again in my brain? It's kind of like, uh-oh, you know? So I've just found it actually quite liberating to realize that it's, that I've failed enough times to get to the thing that I'll never burn out on. And I can also just do, you can also just do other things, on top of the thing you love. It doesn't have to be limiting. It can in fact be like expanding to your horizon. Love that, love that. And how do people find out more about you? So our uh, website is swissavbirth.com. Real, (laughs) pretty simple. Um, And I'm just, if for emailing, I'm just McKinsey at swissavenuebirth.com. But we do, you know, we offer all of our stuff virtually too, which is nice. Good. Well, I really enjoy chatting with you because it's something different. It's a topic that I've never interviewed on or, or found out about. So I found it quite uh, enjoyable. So thank you, uh, Mackenzie. I hope you hope you've enjoyed the experience. Yes, you're delightful. <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.